Alrighty then, hello and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz, and this is an appeal to the listeners. If you can tell us where the uh, New Zeller's food truck is going to be located, uh, we need to go on a field trip because we haven't had one in a while. <laughs> I think Adam needs a big Z burger or whatever it was called, right? <laughs> oh, I, I was it the big Z burger? I can't Memories. remember. I feel so. I just pulled that out of the air, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. <laughs> I feel so bad because I did literally work at a Zellers, and I worked. <laughs> I, I was in electronics, which is little, literally right next to the restaurant. And, you could uh, smell it in the whole place. Well, well, you could. The best part was Saturday morning with the dollar ninety nine breakfast. Boy, you mm. want to see you want to see some regulars mm. <laughs> offering dollar ninety nine breakfast. You'll see some people who uh, show up bright and early every Saturday. Maybe tell you one. Well, it. I don't know. Ten ninety nine now <laughs> with inflation. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Open sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward 5 City Councillor Kathy Downer, who is joining us to talk about the fiscal picture at City Hall and the challenges in passing that confirmed 2023 budget last week and the challenges coming up for 2024. And that's going to be in the bottom half of the show. For the first half, we're going to talk about a few news items from the last week, including one year later. As usual, the sequel did not live up to the original. Uh, that was the case with the Freedom Convoy reunion last weekend in Ottawa. So we'll catch up with some old friends there. Uh, but first, uh, you know, sad news. Last weekend, Hazel McCallion passed away, the former mayor of Mississauga. Uh, a lot of superlatives thrown around, but, uh, I, you know, Dollar for dollar, I don't think it matched uh, P- Peterborough Mayor Jeff Leal saying that uh, her legacy elevates her to legendary status, which uh, thank you and good night. That is a uh, that is an obit that will not be topped for Hurricane Hazel. Um, as long term listeners know, uh, our own Scotty Hertz is a former dissident of the Mississauga <laughs> area. <laughs> He was he was shown to the city limits and told never to come back. Um, That's not far off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll let uh, we'll let Scotty go first in terms of uh, his firsthand experience living under Hurricane Hazel and uh, and, well, and being a Mississaugan. Mississauga region, yeah, I don't even know what they call this. I can't remember. I blocked <laughs> I blocked it all out until I heard about Hazel. I do have I have an anecdote because everybody has anecdotes about Hazel. This this is sort of she's not in it. She's sort of a cameo in it. Uh, <laughs> I had a a job cleaning Mississauga City Hall when it was brand new. Mm-hmm. It was it was at nights. It was minimum wage. I got ripped off. I never got paid. Put it that way. Uh, but there was one of the highlights was it was night shift, and I had to clean. They trusted me enough to clean Hazel's office, so I sat in the chair. And looked out over beyond yonder, all of the wonderful what we used we called Greenbelt back in the day, getting paved over with uh, condos and 
and stuff. That was all happening. Our break room was where they kept the spare pieces of marble where ones would break and that. So, <laughs> so that experience, along with I don't know however many years I was there, was reflective of of my feelings about Mississauga. So, um, I know it's difficult to not difficult, but uh, some folk were reluctant to be critical. A little bit of critique came out about Hazel. But it was all sort of muted because, well, she's Hazel. You can't really say anything bad about your gran, right? Mm-hmm. She was became mayor in 78 after the amalgamations of 1974. So it was actually, I started off in the town of Mississauga. Um, and she, I'm not sure how heavy a hand she had in orchestrating that, but she was, no, she wasn't the mayor. She became mayor later after a couple of flubs by the mayor at the time. And that was a big deal in the 70s, a, a woman being mayor believe it or not and mm-hmm. then stayed for i mean she's you said she's the former mayor of Mississauga. i think in the hearts of the people there there's me getting throwing some cheese on <laughs> in the hearts of the people bonnie Crombie's nice but you know hazel is was still the queen and never probably never to be seen again but yeah i the the moniker i guess queen of sprawl the nickname she probably didn't like too much mm. was very apt uh, and that was reported in a, a couple of places because uh, that's that is Mississauga. I mean, for she, you know, she did a great job with advocacy of the place and was very personable and and you know didn't have a unkind word to say maybe about some other politicians, but not the people of Mississauga. But the end result of that is an urban planning nightmare mm-hmm. that'll probably you know for the years to come be reflected in in studies or. Should ask uh, Ken Yi Chu what he thinks of Mississauga from a planning standpoint. Because <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Yeah, name one famous building from Mississauga, right? Well, the Marilyn Monroe towers, though, at Square One, are the ones that they always focus on. Yeah, but supposedly it's not really the best place to live in terms of the way it's built and some of the services there. It's like it looks. It looks shiny and whatever and kind of cool and they'll put it on the calendar. But you know, it's just it's just it's another condo, right? You mean you mean the view of square one in the transit terminal isn't as great as you think it is? <laughs> oh yeah, well they moved it from when I was a kid. So yeah, I mean to tell you the truth, I mean, g- growing up there, square one was a big deal. I mean, they mm. made it they the civic center, whatever they called it. It was supposed to be the quasi downtown from a completely suburban perspective right but uh it it was a big deal to go there and that sounds ridiculous but i guess that's part of not all not just my generation yours to a degree but you yeah. know the mall, the mall was central you took the bus yeah. to the mall that was the thing to do because you lived in this place that had you know varying degrees of services if you, if you lived one of the old towns of of mississauga there was stuff um my mother favored New Toronto, which was Long Branch, right? <laughs> you need the vacuum fixed, go to Long Branch. So slumming it in Toronto, looking for an older downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that, that's enough reminiscing from me. What are your impressions of Hazel? <laughs> yeah, no, just to attach myself about the whole mall situation. Like, I remember getting on the go bus uh, by myself for the first time to go down to, like, Shopper's World. Oh, yeah. Um, and you know, in Brampton, like the like the big city malls, like we had a mall in in Georgetown, but it you know it was <laughs> mm. this this go speaking of Zeller's days, this goes to show like how boring it gets at Zeller's some nights when it's I got into an argument with another associate about whether the Georgetown Mall was a real mall because it's only one story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> putting, putting that aside, um, 
you know, I, I think there's been a dearth of critical analysis. And yeah, you can praise Hazel for being a trailblazer, for be, you know, being a woman and succeeding in a time when, you know, being a woman in politics and succeeding was, you know, hard. I mean, it's still pretty hard to be a woman and succeed in politics. That's Catherine McKenna. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it it, it is... The, those i i think we have to kind of hold separate from the brutalist realities of mississauga and and, and she made this speech when she retired in 2014 about how um when she became mayor of mississauga there were still like grazing cows and horses in the city center and it was kind of like a yuck 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 moment where it's like hey when i <laughs> when i took over as mayor it's a cow patty and now we've like paved everything um and we're like the sixth biggest city in canada and on the, on the one hand it's like i can get the dissidents but on the other hand it's like that's not good like just how quickly everything shifted and to like to lay out everything and to sprawl and and i i found one real critical piece in the media about her mayoralty and it was from the um the architecture uh guy in the toronto star whose name i've, I've completely blanked on but you know mm-hmm. he's talking about how Mississauga is a bunch of subdivisions and little communities connected with highways and parking lots. And that's not far from the truth. It just, it it feels like, you know, East York goes on, not East York, but uh, like, like, uh, oh, where's Etobicoke? It just feels like it goes on. It's just like, uh, there's no delineation between Mississauga and, and Toronto, where Toronto ends and Mississauga begins or vice versa. It just, it it it's the epitome of of you know what became coined like the bedroom community um people wanted you know they didn't want to live in apartments they didn't want to live in high density they didn't want to live in small accommodations and hazel played into that moment by saying hey you want to live in a subdivision we have all the subdivisions in the world mm-hmm. and 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 now you know bonnie you mentioned bonnie Crombie. she's painted into a corner Yep. Because it was all for for years and years and years under Hazel's mayoralty, it was build, 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 low, low taxes, and you can't keep going that way forever. And then Hazel, I feel like this needs to be mentioned. She kind of bails. I mean, <laughs> it's hard to say bails when you retire at the age of like ninety, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know she she leaves office at just the right time. It's like a year or two after they have to borrow. $700 million to start, you know, really catching up with a lot of the infrastructure demands oh, yeah. that they've been putting off for years. And so she takes off and Bonnie Crombie comes in and she's left with this, you know, hole that has to be filled. There's nowhere left to build. There's nowhere, no more land left to exploit. And now they have to run and play catch up with all these infrastructure concerns they should have been addressing the whole time while they were keeping taxes low. And it, it was, it's a perfect storm in a lot of ways. So, like, yeah, we can praise hazel the trailblazer but i we really do also need to put it in context that not everything like she didn't she wasn't midas she wasn't king midas she didn't touch things and they turned into gold yeah that's true i mean yeah there are those two aspects to it i mean you can hold up her achievements in terms of being the the woman the position that she was and she wasn't she didn't take any crap from people she's a very plain speaker i'll give her that and that's you know, you don't see that anymore where somebody is willing to to stand up to other levels of government. They they talked a bit about the evacuation of 1979 in which I was a kid and lost my sense of smell. Uh, 
but yeah, so that that was her claim to fame that she handled. They evacuated all of Mississauga. It was only two hundred fifty thousand of us then, mm-hmm. but we all went. Well, we all went to Brampton. We all went and hung out in Shoppers World. There you go, <clears throat> for a few days. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, there's there's that lineage is one thing, but and I can say this because I'm from there. It is a in terms of soul. If you're looking for a place, if you're looking for just a place to live, that was always the it was Toronto Township for years and years until after after the war and the plan always was to develop it but as you said you were talking about cows grazing there when i was a kid there was cows grazing around i'm not as old as hazel obviously <laughs> there used to be a farmer's market at square one with actual mm-hmm. farmers from the area that would come like and that's not that that's not that long ago in the scheme of things i mean yeah yeah it's, it's a while ago but it's not that long ago but yes so just it, filling all that in and eventually you can see if you're ever at square one that they did eventually have to go up. Mm-hmm. They just, they had to, there's no choice. And now it's at the point where, you know, not only my old neighborhood, are they just you know, taking like they did with my family home, took it through in a dumpster and put uh <laughs> McMansion up, but the strip malls that they're famous for all of those. Now the people that own those want to turn those into condos as well. So any sort of limited services that were in these areas, like it's just drive, drive, drive everywhere. But think about it though. What was Hazel's last act, right? Mm-hmm. As the chair of the Green Belt mm-hmm. Council, this was her last political act: was to endorse Doug Ford and say, "Yeah, let her rip. More homes built faster. Awesome." I'm I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but yeah. that just proves everything that we've just said. That that's the goal. That was always the goal, right? And I don't like. There was this weird thing with her son who presented himself as some kind of a developer, Peter McCallion, and some sort of indiscretion with her with uh, a piece of land that she sold back in the 80s. Oh, I forgot to declare this, blah, blah. So there were some links there. I'm not sure if the links were as tight as they seemed to be, allegedly, with the doug ford conservatives and developers although there's a piece of video saying let's pave the green belt that would prove all of that mm-hmm. uh i guess we need to watch what we say but <laughs> there's obviously there was obviously links there and uh you can't really a- escape that yeah there's one yeah. government in ontario that's still like preaching the 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 gospel of of hazel mccallion when it comes to planning and development and that's the ford government and everybody in ontario's ticked off with it because yep. all all of that all of those assumptions have changed in the last 40 years and yeah you can't underestimate because you mentioned the conflict of interest i was actually her second conflict of interest uh indemnity when you know uh during her mayoralty um mm-hmm. there was another incident in the 1980s where if she had been convicted one year later she would have had to vacate the seat and been barred from running in the next election one year later, they had passed the Municipal Conflict of Interest Act, and that would have been her punishment. Dodged a bullet. But yeah, it's 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 kind of weird that you know the Doug Ford is the is the the inheritor of the McCallion political um I don't know, oeuvre. <laughs> well, and they were tight too. Like there's that sure. famous bit of footage with rob ford saving hazel from getting pulled over during the great salmon hunt or whatever they call it now mm-hmm. on the boat so he did a solid there if we're going to give rob ford credit for anything it's <laughs> preventing hazel from falling into lake ontario and swallowing some of that beautiful mississauga water that used to make me sick as a kid when we go swimming <laughs> so 
<gasps> wow, that was some prime Hertz uh, oh, bio- biographical material there. We could have given that the hour. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, for the sake of the people, we won't. Well, speaking of the people, uh, they descended on Parliament Hill again, although not in greater numbers, and they had to leave their trucks at home. All nine of them, yeah. All nine, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in, in talking about the Freedom Convoy, which uh, one year ago from last weekend is when they arrived in uh, Parliament Hill and um, lay sieged, according to some, took back their freedoms, according to others. Um, it's important to note maybe how these things have gotten roots in, into our normal political discourse every day. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that we were supposed to get the report from the inquiry into the emer- use of the Emergencies Act. That was supposed to come out on Monday. It has been delayed a couple of weeks, so it's going to come out on Family Day instead, February 20th. So that's going to make some, for some good holiday weekend reading for <laughs> all the all the nerdos out there. Some of us, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, you know, we, we've seen the political fallout. You know, Pierre Polivare is, uh, you know, t- retweeting Roman Baber, who's also mad about gas stoves, although that fake outrage has nothing to do with us. And uh, there's the controversy about Daniel Smith's staff um, trying to interfere with the prosecution of the, the Coots uh, blockaders, the people arrested at the Coots blockade. So it's, you know, we can laugh that nine people turned out at parliament hill for the one year anniversary after everything that happened last year but i mean there there is still kind of a real politic about uh the fallout from last year too yeah i think we need to come up with a different name for the embedded ones mm. convoy adjacent or something that that doesn't really roll off the tongue we need something snappy because they're you're right they're in I mm-hmm. think they were always kind of inside the house, but with the enabling of Polyev and uh, Daniel Smith, et cetera, it's like they kind of came with the place. <laughs> and they're not afraid now to express <clears throat> the views that they maybe wouldn't have before under even even under Jason Kenney or uh, or an Aaron O'Toole, right? So mm-hmm. that's it's just it's sim- it's simmering there, and they, there's there's allegiances there that cross over. But yeah, the actual. <laughs> I, I'm sure you did too, Adam, but I suffered through a short clip of this is where Twitter is a blessing of uh, <laughs> two minutes of the of the new convoy, convoy 2.0. And it was just the usual, like the cops took a flag or something like, did we back my property? Yeah. Like they were five, right? So <laughs> and of course it was, I didn't watch Rebel News. It was like shared from Rebel News. So, and you know, everybody, you have the, like in terms of protests, it was like, okay, if you, if you want to do that, that's totally fine. That's that little thing was a different world from the trucks and the honking and mm. we're going to shoot up coots border crossing possibly you know these are all there's some nuance there right but yeah no queen of canada no <laughs> polyev didn't bring the timbits for these people because there's no photo op to be had right mm-hmm. lots of sad tiktoks and lots of bored cops but so but the convoy hasn't fizzled people shouldn't get the wrong impression from what i just said there that it's gone like mm. I said, it's it's more it's become embedded. Um, yeah, so I don't like. <laughs> then well, the other like, there's also a schism within the convoy, right? Wasn't there one that was supposed to go to Winnipeg? These are people that have never been to Winnipeg in February. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, if you went there in February, there's no way it wouldn't be the party that it was in uh, Ottawa. Although Ottawa is also a cold capital, right? But yeah, they they just they don't have it together in terms of movement, larger movement. But there are these 
elements, let's call them, that are are definitely doing a bit of shaking behind the scenes. Hmm. Yeah, it. I, I found it somewhat amusing. The the they interviewed one guy on the news who said, "Like we're here because we want to reunite with old friends and we want an end to the mandates." And it's like, well, what mandates do you want an end to exactly? Um, like the ones that's yeah, where you have a, a lot of medical facilities, obviously, if not all of them, are saying like, if you want to come in here, you have to wear a mask. It's like, is are those the mandates you're, you know, you're here to stand against Spartacus? Well, you know, it it is a a medical <laughs> facility, so otherwise, you know, it you can sh- shoot a cannon off and find hardly anyone in mass. I'm always kind of, you know, back in the day. In the pandemic, it used to be able to pick out the one person in the crowd who wasn't wearing the mask. And now it's the exact opposite. You can pick out the one person in the crowd who is wearing a mask. Usually it's me. And um, his name is Adam Donaldson. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's not going away. And and I I can understand the feeling, like, especially around here, there hasn't been like a a freedom adjacent event here since like April or May last year. But on the other hand, there is one being planned for uptown Waterloo this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure um, how many are going to show up. And then, you know, to make it even more local, um, Dr. Byron Brittle has launched a lawsuit against um, the university of Guelph, the OVC and several people inside the OVC uh, claiming that, uh, you know, he's been defamed and is owed financial restitution because of that. So yeah, it, it this is, this is going to be a much more, I think, difficult thing to cover going forward. And you mentioned the queen of Canada. I mean, she's still out there farting around, you know, and <laughs> apparently she had a fundraiser last week and, you know, for, hundred raising hundred and forty thousand dollars that apparently even the her supporters don't know what it's for. Whoa. Um so you know, and, <laughs> and you know this is on top of you know people are losing their home or having their power disconnected because they're reading her on telegram saying oh by the way I've made everything free in Canada so now you don't have to pay your bills anymore and then they get confused about why they lose their water or their power or the bank says they own your house now. It's you know, it, it's going to be, as I said, much more harder to track these things. It, it's it's going to be on these like smaller level things, like we saw last fall with, you know, anti-trans candidates and you know conspiracy candidates running for school board and, and city councils and things. You're not going to see another freedom convoy, um, and it, and because like you have this big thing that gets a lot of attention, um, that's what people end up starting to look for. So we we run the risk of missing these smaller things too. Yeah, and that is one of the more significant offshoots, I think, is the whole, uh, let's call it the anti-trans movement, because that's what Mm. it is. And we've seen a bit of that this past week with the school board in Waterloo. Mm. And of course, I looked up the person that that had gone to the school board to speak, and then there was the open letter and all that other stuff. But just uh, like, as soon as I saw this fella, I'm thinking, okay, he's definitely either got a podcast or something, and sure enough, he does. (laughs) So it's like every single one of the gang has to be online, either mm-hmm. podcasting or, and, you know, it is a free country. You can do these things, but this is like presenting yourself as a journalist, let's say, and informed and what the information that you have is uh, <laughs> based in reality. I just, I just hate the amount of podcasters that have come out of this. There mm-hmm. are too many podcasters. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a podcaster on TikTok. And that, you know, again, freedom of information. 
but the information itself is what is uh sketch let's say so yeah this is where this is the, the pivot has been to kind of a localism with that like oh let's let's go oh there's there's some drag queens reading a book let's go yell at them right <laughs> but the other thing is that every every damn one of them's got a uh a blue mic now and, and it's two hours of just rubbish yeah. right I mean, yeah. I'm sure people people probably say that about us too, right? But oh, I'm sure. But first of all, we've both been in this game a long time. You longer than myself. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's not just limited to the what's within the silo, right? Yeah, my mic stand has arthritis. Um, but that's how long. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, like you're right. Like the whole thing in in Waterloo, I I found especially galling. Um because it had to do with like a survey not a survey like a census which is something our own upper grand district school board did and somehow nobody managed to have a freak out about it mm-hmm. but um the, the, the thing is too there are opportunists like um oh, i can't remember his name even though he's a well-known pain in the butt the waterloo region trustee mike something but you know he's he's kind of like you know you're right uh, you know the board sending home a letter saying that we're not trying to groom people that was a bridge too far it's like no stop stop you're trying to get attention and so much about this is about the attention economy and a lot of it is weak too like there was a i made note of this especially when i was looking at pictures from from the the reunion somebody had a has a had a flag that said foxtrot juliet tango which was uh referenced for f justin trudeau so they can't even like like did somebody oh, take yeah i wonder what that was about yeah. <laughs> did, so, like, did somebody take erin o'toole's advice and say like oh maybe that maybe those f trudeau flags were a bridge too far maybe we should <laughs> but then i saw another i saw somebody posted a picture on reddit of somebody's card it, had, it was plastered with bumper stickers with the usual mm-hmm. you know the the usual what you expected this but among them i noted especially was a let's go brando sticker so it's a portmanteau of of let's go brandon and uh f trudeau that they've turned into this new thing let's go brando which only makes complete sense if your brain is full of worms so it's or it's only funny if it may if you're because i understood it but it's it's only funny if your brain's full of worms well that's the thing too if you're trying to convey some sort of larger message and it's immediately lost like that foxtrot one i saw that and i'm like okay this is code but i don't know what it means yeah you're not really reaching beyond your circle yeah and trying to gain New, it's 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 all about you at that point right it's yeah. it's not it's not about trying to coax people into thinking that no this is wrong and that is wrong and believe me as i've said you've got those opinions more power to you but it, it doesn't merit like two hours on the, on the mics about trying to break this thing down it's like that's what and and it, it just sort of keeps the cycle going right and once once you're in that loop i think it's difficult to get out uh, we're going to see a lot in the future about people who are got caught up in everything where it was whether it was the queen of canada or yeah where the person's selling all those flags and then your business folded or i don't know but that flag demand definitely has to be down because either those are all custom made or i don't know what but these these are the halcyon days of the guy selling flags out of the back of his car um (laughs) but we'll have to take a break there and we'll come back with our interview with Kathy Downer. You're listening to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
that was the hidden cameras. Some of them are from Mississauga. <laughs> that album is from 2004. Both the album and the song are called Mississauga Goddamn. Mm-hmm. And that think- probably does needs no further explanation. <laughs> <laughs> it's it is worth noting that a lot of these like sprawly places like Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, Milton, you know, kind of create you know a lot of interesting bands. Uh, I think yeah. that's because there's nothing else to do there but go to garage and play the play the guitar. Well, the Haynes, uh, Emily Haynes from Metrics from Pork Credit. That's and right. Avery Haynes is a top news person, so there you go. There's there's a family, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pork Credit Ontario, now known as. South Mississauga. <laughs> Lakeside. Anyway. Um, <laughs> we're going to have to leave Mississauga and talk about golf stuff for a while. Uh, we invited Ward 5 City Councilor Kathy Downer on this week to break down the 2023 confirmed budget for the city of Guelph. A nine-hour meeting. Uh, so it's a bit more than confirming. Let's just say that. And we talk about the issues that went into that meeting and how these are issues that are not going to go away as the city start looks to uh, budgeting for the 2024, 2027 multi-year budget. And we may touch on maybe some heritage stuff there at the end and uh, all, you know, all usual good fun that we have with our friends from city council. So we're going to hit play on our interview with Kathy Downer starting right now. So, Kathy Downer, thank you so much for hopping on with us again today. Thank you. Always happy to be here. So let's just talk a bit generally at first. Um, You know, after nine hour day last Wednesday and you go home and maybe that was a a rough journey because it was a blizzard at the time. But, you know, when you get home and put your feet up and you're thinking about the day, uh, what were you thinking about? Well, that night I had to go to an old university neighborhood meeting an hour later, so I didn't have much to reflect, but uh, I did have time for a glass of wine and reflection later at night. You know, but it was mostly the day after and the two days after. For some reason, I don't know, and I I emailed a couple of my colleagues to text them about it, and I just had a a real sense of unease. Um, like it was, you know, you get those budget hangovers after those long days and a lot of work is what I call them, but... But there was, I just had a sense of unease. And then, you know, it's hard to pinpoint um, exactly what, you know, what that is. There's, you know, it wasn't that there was anything that I was terribly unhappy about. Um, you know, maybe the, the levy and a few other, you know, that thing's always a bone of contention. Um, and around, you know, maybe not preparing for the Bill 23 and not putting that those funds in now. Um, but I, there's that, but I, I, but it, that's sort of part of the larger thing of, you know, what might be coming up next year and the year after and the year after. So just a real sense of unease around, you know, what we've heard through this confirmation budget, budget process, what we've seen, how the capital budget had to get reduced, um, the use of the reserves, sort of all of that together um has made me somewhat uncomfortable about what's coming what's coming down the pike you know i I was glad to see they kept the phase in of the library and the south and rec center i thought that was prudent to do that Mm -hmm. but you know we we do uh, and i think you mentioned this in your column on the weekend but you know the kick in the can is 
is not a good way to do budgeting. And um, and the other part of that is we there's so much uncertainty right now um, around what will Bolt 23 cost us. Will there uh, will they make us whole the province? And and I just don't have a lot of faith in that. I sort of go back to those revenue neutral days of the downloading and uploading in the Harris government. So. Uh, and then you know, you know, planning. There's just so much uncertainty right now. Right. That right. that it. I think all that together has made it feel kind of, um, you know, not, not a happy time for me as from a budget perspective. Let's put it that way. Right. And you see the in, you see the increases across the province. Like you know, the counties usually really low, but you know, those townships. They there's two taxes. There's the townships, and then there's the county. Right. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, you know, I, I, I drew that comparison too, that you see these like in Minto and, and Guelph Hermosa, it's like three and a half, four and a half percent increase. And you don't, it's like, that's, that's something you're not. And I think a couple of the townships even had 0% increases during COVID, mm-hmm. um, which, which goes to show you like maybe how big of a hit they're taking. And at the same time, you also had that report from the, I can't remember his name, but the U of G researchers who were like, well, you know, rural areas are already, we're already sort of being, and not that, you know, we're a rural area, but we do have appendages to Wellington County, but mm-hmm. rural areas were already kind of lagging behind because they weren't getting that support that they need from mm-hmm. financial support uh, from oh, yeah. upper levels of government. Yeah. yeah. And they get it hit so from the township and then they get hit again from the county. So like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know that the county set their budget yet, but um you know that'll be on top of their four percent so they've already asked for mm-hmm. so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the rural areas for sure but yeah no it's very concerning um so that's that was sort of how i left it um yeah well let's look at the little the, the pieces then i mean bill 23 um even though there was in, in the staff recommendation there was some money so sort of to all help absorb the impact that's just staff giving it a best guess though because number one we don't know what the financial impact will be because even developers are still figuring out what their game plan is going to be and two um we haven't gotten the regulations for a lot of the changes in bill 23 they've passed this thing um i I guess it almost feels like strategic planning on their part they've released this aspirational thing and now we're waiting to see how they're going to do it but uh you know that that doesn't do a lot when a lot of municipalities, you know, rely on having that that long term vision. You know, we're not the only ones who do multi year budgeting. That's right. So you know, staff I think put in about a million. I think mm-hmm. it was around that, and mm-hmm. said it could be up to four million. So why take out that million? I mean, that that would have softened the blow for next year. And you know, it's so naive to think that it's going to cost us nothing because we have to. I mean, there's both twenty three. There's Bill 109 around we have to speed up the applications. We know we need, um, you know, more planners, more engineers to respond to these applications if we're going to meet the deadlines. And then we'd be cut. Otherwise, we'd be cut, you know, the fees that they pay. So I think it's I think that was naive um, to think that it would be that we would be made whole in that way. Mm. Um, and um I, I think that the reference to wholeness was was around development charges, and 
you know, I don't have a lot of faith in that. But I, I, I think I think even from a staff perspective, we'd be looking at a million dollars to meet those deadlines. So I, I think it was not prudent, not na- and somewhat naive to have um, uh, not kept that in. I mean, sure, we can take it out of the reserves, as some said, you know, or from you know, and from the surplus. But that doesn't soften the blow for next year. That just mm. is another thing that we have to add on to next year, right? So and and we know be, that cost isn't going away. Right. And and to be clear, it's not just the sort of the sinkhole of DCs. Like, we don't have DCs as much development charges anymore. We don't have much community, although we haven't really started collecting community benefit yet. But, you know, all this extra work is going to require staff time. Yeah. And uh, staffing is the biggest part of any budget. Like yes. the pe- paying for people yeah. is the most expensive part. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's not even so much the development charges. Yeah. That may be the one that's a little gray right now and how much, but it's not, there's no grayness around the extra staff that we need. Mm-hmm. We need, um, and that's going to, you know, with, with the amount of work, with the amount of staff we're going to need and, and the, you know, everything that goes along with hiring staff, um, the million dollars was quite conservative. And mm-hmm. so I, that's, I regret that that happened, but you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> so I, it was just a, you know, I, you, you see staff trying to be so careful and prudent and, and forward thinking. And so that, that, that concerns me. Right. Yeah. Are you worried what's coming next? Uh, I, I don't know if you're watching the calendar, uh, but, you know, the yeah, legislature comes back after Family Day, which is only a couple of weeks away. Um, we keep hearing rumors and rumors of rumors. So, you know, are we, are you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop, as it were? I think so. I think there's going to be more legislation to worry about. Um, I've heard that Steve Clark... Um, Minister Clark, Minister Municipal Affairs, is saying that they're going to be bringing bill upon bill upon bill. I, I, I don't know what those bills are that he plans to bring, but inevitably they're going to cost municipalities, as they have, um, money. And and the relationship that AMO, like Association of Municipalities of Ontario, has with the province doesn't appear that great right now. Um, right because of bill 23 and, and some other things, but so that's a concern that, that they don't have any influence. Not that I thought they, even when I was on there, that they had a great deal, but I mean, I think they, they might've had some, so that's, that's an, you know, additional. So I think, yeah, we, I think there's more coming. Um, I think we're really losing our autonomy as municipalities. And, you know, when you think of the strong mayors, we know that there's, talk of that being spread out um and not that i think that you know cam is gonna or mayor guthrie's gonna um you know override a lot of council decisions but you know he could Mm. and and you know future mayors can't right so you know what's the point in having a council (laughs) right what's the point of electing your two ward councillors if have you that, heard have have you heard a lot from people about the the levy the four point four six increase? Like, has there been a lot of outrage about that from your constituents? I haven't received any letters. And that night, I said I went to an old university neighborhood meeting with their executive, and one of the members said to me, "Oh, I thought it would be a lot more." 
Interesting. <laughs> so, I was expecting a lot more given that inflation is, you know, over 6% you know, mm-hmm. and municipalities have inflation. So, no, I haven't actually, I haven't, I haven't, I think, I think there was somewhat of an expectation in the public because of the multi-year budgeting, but also um, I think there was an expectation in the, from a lot of people in the public that given the cost of everything, um, that municipalities have those same costs and we can't incur debt, uh, like deficits, sorry. Um, so, uh, you know, actually I, I haven't, I haven't heard anything. I didn't hear much beforehand. I had letters about the mayor's proposed levy and a mm. few of those, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't hear much about ours, about our budget. Okay. I'm wondering as, as sort of part of that, part of this is, um, how you're feeling about the multi-year budgeting. We were talking yesterday um, about your, your longevity on council, as it were. Um, this, this is kind of a new experience for, for everybody on council, the multi-year budgeting process. But I mean, in terms of, from your point of view, having now gone through the process of creating a multi-year budget and confirming it, um, how's it working for you from your perspective? Oh, I think it, I think it needs some tweaking here and there because um, I just think that there's still an act, like when you see the amount of delegations we had, we need to sort of make it clearer in the public. Um, I think, um, I think where it did work was in, in the capital, you know, this council didn't touch any of the capital um, projects that were prioritized by staff. So I thought that worked, that worked well. So, um, but uh, there was, you know, people still wanting us to add things into the budget. There was, but at the same time, it's confusing because staff move things around in the budget and change things right. in the budget, right? So it's hard to explain. So it's hard for many of us on council to say, well, staff have made these changes, like the 500000 for the housing. Um on their own initiative, why wouldn't council be able to do the same thing, right? So it's sort of, no, of course we can do those. But I mean, it's like the expectation is that we don't, we don't touch it. Right. And so I, I think, I think it needs some work and, and um, it created a lot of predictability, which I thought was beneficial. I think it created a lot of uh, predictability for our staff. Mm. Um, so I think, I think, I think there's a lot of positives to it, but we need to get down exactly what that happens and what happens in a confirmation year. I think we need to, I think we need to talk a bit more about, about that and, and the public's expectation in a confirmation year is, is another issue, right? Right. I, I do, I'm curious about, you know, how much the public thought they could come out and do advocacy. I mean, you had the pickleball uh people <laughs> which uh I, I appreciated uh that increased awareness that pickleball is a phenomenon that clearly i'm missing but the uh, you know that so, some of the delegates like all the delegates were representative of things like guelph community health and you know the chamber of commerce and uh poverty elimination task force so like people who are dialed into the political process anywhere what i found miss i mean there was one person who was kind of just there as a a resident uh concerned resident but there wasn't 
uh, out of like a dozen delegates, there was one, one out of a, a dozen who was just kind of there, like, I want my voice to be heard about this. And I think that I wonder if that was a piece I was missing in what, you know, was kind of a consequential budget year with a myriad of issues, whether people felt they had, um, I, I guess whether people felt there was an invitation for them to come in and offer their thoughts about a, a budget confirmation that, you know, maybe was missing. Yeah, so maybe that maybe that's it. And I, I had wondered, a few of us talked about maybe there should have been delegations one day and, and mm. our debate and, and work on it at another because, um, you know, kind of like we do in other years to give us time to sort of get more information and to talk to, to staff. So that that might have been, that's that's definitely missing. Certainly, I think they were really focused on trying to educate counselors around the confirmation, but, you know, educating the public in a confirmation year is uh, a little more difficult you know and, and maybe you know when i talk about that unease you mentioned the social services people that came um you know that was part of my unease too after the budget is that the expectations of municipalities to pick up the gaps from the province it, it's it's um it's a slippery slope mm. and and then you've got the county, you know, they spent 500000 last year in homelessness. I don't know. I guess we're getting a on what, but we're getting a report. But, you know, how how do we, and I guess that's why we have that, the mayor has decided on 150000 yeah. for that. Look at that, because that's getting very, very tricky, that whole issue. Well, again, that's, that's a matter of gaps in the system, right? Yeah. Because... Wellington County, in terms of delivering social services, does everything they're mandated to do. Yeah, and then you know it's you know Guelph doesn't have a social services department too. And I think I met every every time this comes up with you with one of your colleagues. You know Scott Stewart said, you know Guelph social services is whoever picks up the phone first. <laughs> and yeah. so there's 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 definitely like a huge gap at an administrative level because Wellington County is doing explicitly what it's told to do by legislation. Um, but the problem is so much bigger than what they are mandated to do, which they are doing. So it's, it, it, it needs to be a comprehensive approach from municipalities, the province and the feds. And But if you can't bring the province to the table, it's, it's even at AMO on this issue. It mm. makes it really difficult. So, yeah, so we're here filling in the gap because it pl plays out on our streets. Um, right. But at, at, at some point, you know, if we're compromising our own programs in order to fund social services right. and a lot of our programs that are around prevention, right, because, you know, having a good well-being in, in you know, kids sports and recreation centers and libraries, those are all good well-being issues. Um, you know, having to cut any of those doesn't really solve the problem for dealing with the crisis at the end, right? It's right. Um, and and those are within our jurisdiction. So it we have I haven't seen that tipping point yet, but that would be really unfortunate if we got there. Yeah. Um, if we were cutting those in order to fund those, so that's that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. But I don't think people realize how much we actually do. I mean, we have the neighborhood support coalition that we fund through a lot of services. And I think Councillor um, O'Rourke listed off quite a few. We do provide $23 million a year to the county. So it's not like we don't do any of it. But, yeah. 
none of it's kind of uh, branded though. City of Guelph, it's you know County yeah. of Wellington, it's you know Guelph Neighborhood Support Coalition, and they have mm-hmm. many tentacles the northern yeah. market so yeah. it's it, yeah. it looks like we do nothing or the city of guelph does nothing but um there, there's a lot going on uh a lot of this is tied into the strategic plan too and i want to get your feedback on this and and i'm going to tie it into scott stewart's presentation next week at committee because like on his priority list for 2023 it's stuff like finding new revenue streams and you know attracting economic development and um, attracting talented workforce to the city of Guelph. And it's like, it's kind of very basic stuff. Um, I know the strategic plan is sort of meant to be aspirational, but this is where the budget crunch comes in. It's like recognizing that, you know, there are so many budgetary pressures. Can you create a truly aspirational document in the strategic plan? Or is it going to, you know, is a concern that maybe the like the nature of just like surviving another year is, is a strategic plan going forward? <laughs> Well, that's a good one. I should bring that one up. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll provide that feedback. <laughs> Let's survive. Yeah. Um, I, and it's a good point because, you know, um, you know, and, and Councillor Gibson talks about this, you know, can we really afford this in, in this time? Oh, well, slashing the things that would help it. But at, at the same time, I just think... Um, I still think it's good to be aspirational. I think we may need to put some strategic things in there around around the finances, around budgeting, um, you know, and what and what that may look like. I I I think um, you know I, the only problem I have with you know a lot of strategic plans. I mean, our strategic plan could be a strategic plan, like Waterloo has a strategic plan that may look very similar. And my my feedback to them and was, well, how does this make this a Guelph strategic plan? Like, what's mm. when I use? I actually use the word Guelph. What's Guelphy about this strategic plan? And mm-hmm. um, and I think we need to get at that. And I think I think Guelph has always, um, I think I think we have you know top financial uh, the staff in our financial department is absolutely amazing and i have every confidence in them uh, to help guide us through this next while but i think we might be able to we should probably probably be able to help them with some things around sustaining our future right those Mm. pillars um it's not just sustaining our future environmentally but fiscally as well Mm -hmm. Um, so those are are important points to make Maybe to wrap up, uh, to, to tackle a different topic, you are an ex officio member of Heritage Guelph now, and I know there's a, this exercise the members have been doing to, I guess, prioritize things that are on the heritage list, not necessarily registered yet, but since we have two years to designate as much as we can, the members of Heritage Guelph are being asked to come up with their top 10 list. So I, I'm curious, um, what is on your top 10 list, and are you willing to um- share... <laughs> yeah, I, I can share some of them. So because we have to look at this not only from a heritage perspective, but, you know, the risk to that heritage um, asset. So I did talk about um, there's a number of heritage assets for, that were identified in the Clear Mulvey Secondary Plan. Um, you know, particularly that stone barn across mm. from the Marcolongo farm. Um, I had that one in there. I had... Um, it's 108 Queen Street. There's um, 
forget what house they call it. John Mitchell House. Mm. Um, and um, I had, you know, even though we weren't supposed to mention downtown, um, <laughs> I did put in St. Agnes um, mm. on, on Catholic Hill. I worry about that building. It's a beautiful building, too. Um, but I think that that was, that was most of it was, you know, there's about six or seven properties in the Claire Malby area. I did have another one. I can't remember what it was <laughs> um, <laughs> without but, the list in front of me, but I, you know, St. Anne's is a good one though, because it's like the last building up there. That's not really do they're not, we're not really doing anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it would make a, a good, something like the museum or something like that. I mean, we were so lucky that, that they, they renovated the rectory on their own and did a great job because initially when I went to talk to them about um, the convent, you know, they told me that they were going to rip down the rectory as well. <laughs> so that was a nice turnaround and, you know, they make nice bookends to the Basilica. So, you know, that was nice uh, that they did that. But I, you know, I, every time I go up, that area that street where St. Agnes is I sort of well you know what's going to happen with that building so yeah. Uh, yeah. it's it's a nice building too so yeah I I, I think and you know it's we're gonna have that's that's a, another dilemma with you know the bill 23 is the heritage how are we gonna preserve heritage and we don't have any we don't have any carrots now we don't even have a stick right so right. It, it's so that's going to be really a problem going forward and and do we does heritage guelph need to meet more do we need more resources to get through this a problem for another day i'm afraid because that's yeah. our time okay. but kathy towner <laughs> thank you so much for, for coming on today yeah thanks again adam okay so once again that was kathy downer and that is another counselor there on the horseshoe we're, we're counting them down although we did the new ones now we're coming back around and talking to her the ones who've been around for a while. So uh, classic counselors, as we call them. <laughs> classic counselors. <laughs> well, they don't come much more classic than Kathy Downer. Hey, uh, you know, the first year that Kathy Downer was elected to city council? 04? 94. Oh, that's right. There was that period. And she, she took a back. break. She took an eight year yeah. break. Yeah. Then she came back. Yeah. There's some trivia vintage? for you. Kids. No, we can't say vintage. No. Yeah. Uh, we don't stick want to with push it. We don't want classic. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to push it. Anyway, no. that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website at opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to our show again, you can download it from our website every Monday through the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Twitter and Facebook, and I really haven't been on Mastodon lately, but you never know. There's always hope. Uh, and uh, if you're listening to us on the FM, please, please stay tuned for the great Turtle Island Underground. Yes, and that is one of the great shows that you can hear on CFRU. And stay tuned here 24 hours a day, seven days a week for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Wealth Campus and Community Radio. We shall be back here, of course, next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another edition of Open Sources. And we will see you then. <laughs>